0: Hello friends and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 164. We took a little break for summer, so I'm so happy to have you back. And I thought a fun way to kick off a new season of the Equestrian Podcast would be to have on one of my favorite people in this world, and that is my husband, Ethan Lee. Some of you may not know that Ethan is my in-house photographer. Another fun fact, we were wedding photographers when we lived in California, and he has continued to be a big support for my equestrian style. So I thought it would be fun to have him on today. I had you ask some questions that you would like to know about Ethan and his role, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we met and everything in between. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Ethan Lee. Hi, honey.
1: Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of
0: course. Thanks for coming on. I have been waiting for this moment for a while, and I know I've been bugging you for a long time. That's right. But I think it's time we tell people the truth.
1: The truth behind the camera, behind the pictures.
0: exactly. I mean, I think for anyone who loves content creation and photography and even just running an Instagram account yourself, you know how important photography and video and just content in general is to having a cohesive brand and something, you know, content that really tells a story. So I think that a huge part of my growth and my success with my equestrian style is due to you with all of your photography, and now that you have dabbled in some video, too.
1: Well, thank you. I can't take too much credit. because You it's, can,
0: though.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, I just fill in where you need me, really, and you're the, the mastermind behind my equestrian style, but I am uh, very glad, very lucky to be a big part of it.
0: Oh. Well, I think there's definitely a learning curve, and we'll get to that. There is definitely a time and we still do you know have our little tiffs during shoots sure. because <laughs> it's a high stress situation sometimes and that's also one of the reasons why we stepped away from wedding photography is that not many weddings went by where we didn't have some sort of
1: yeah it was just hard are high stress situations <laughs> you're always forced to make sure you get the best shots you don't miss anything. We're pretty different in our personalities. And like our,
0: literally the opposite. In <laughs> our
1: style of how to, you know, make sure everything gets done well. Mm-hmm. And so that caused some tension sometimes. And we figured out we weren't really enjoying it that much. So
0: <laughs> so why the heck do
1: it if you don't yeah, love it? Exactly. So yeah. I definitely enjoy kind of a more of a laid back approach that we can take with photography being for your just your needs now.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, definitely. So I feel like it's evolved and grown into something that we work um, pretty well together. It's also so beneficial for me to have someone like Ethan, as I always say, my in-house photographer. We have had a rule set in stone now where I have to give him 24 hours notice (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I would sometimes be like, Ethan, I just got this package. We have to shoot in like 30 minutes. And like, obviously, Ethan has a life and a job and didn't always work out the best, so always a work in progress. But without getting into all of that too quickly, I kind of want to take us back. Also want to get to some questions that some of our listeners wanted to ask you. But first, I don't know if we ever have really talked, and I don't think I talked about this in my solo episode, about how we met. So do you want to touch sure. on how we yeah. first met?
1: So technically, it was through college. We, went, we both went to Cedarville University in uh, Cedarville, Ohio. In, like, uh, 2011 through 15. A couple and, uh, years
0: back now. I yeah,
1: feel like we're getting up there. <laughs> but uh, we randomly both took uh, what's called a May term class. So after the spring semester, it was a condensed three-week semester. You basically take one or two classes either on campus or the school had some really fun <laughs> trips planned. So a lot of them abroad. And then this one was kind of random, but we both did it in Hawaii. And so there were about 30 people from our college who went. A lot of the classes had to do with something with Hawaii. There was one that was earth science, so they went to like the Big Island for the volcanoes, and then intercultural inter- communication, yeah. which those people did a lot of different projects with local people, kind of more native people or different languages. And then we took kind of a filler class, we took the Old Testament. Being at our Christian school, it was a required class that they had kind of as a filler to make sure enough people went on the trip.
0: Yeah, since like every, every student had to take Old Testament at some point.
1: So. Yeah. so to think there were eight of us in that class and for like three or four hours a day, we really got to know each other and then we got to kind of explore Hawaii in this group for the other like, you know, 12 hours a day. And, and we was, never
0: and we I like feel like we laugh about this now because I I was like I never remember like uh, seeing each other on campus like I feel like the first time I saw Ethan was in Hawaii. You said you remembered me yes. on
1: campus. <laughs> we had like two or three pre-trip meetings or like orientation sessions so that everybody was on the same page and ready for this 3-week trip and I specifically remember kind of picking you out like, wow, that girl is very attractive (laughs) and just kind of has like this air to her that I was almost like, you know, impressed with or a little bit blown away. So Oh,
0: well, Uh, okay. From my side, my freshman year of college, I was fully in my hippie stage of life. I wore high-waisted vintage pants before they were in style, before they like, you know, now they're normal. You do remember that acid wash pair of high waisted jeans? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I wore. And I like, and like, band, like long bandanas over my head. Like, it was, it was a lot. Looking back now, I'm like, very unique choice, Bethany, but
1: you know. (laughs) (laughs) You always had that fashion side to you. You had to express somehow.
0: Yeah. So I, we got married three weeks after. We graduated college, so we were both twenty two. We met when we were 19, nineteen, right? Ethan proposed when we were in England for a couple of weeks. His dad moved to the U.S. when he was twenty
1: mm-hmm.
0: for um, college,
1: and then met my mom here.
0: So the and rest of your rest of his family is there.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so grandparents, aunt, uncle, and three cousins. Yeah. And so I grew up going there every few years to see family, and it was, I just knew it was one of the favorite places on earth for me and I knew Bethany would be blown away if she could see kind of like this favorite hike we did every time on the southern coast. And so we took a trip, proposed, and then we were engaged for a year and got married almost to the day a year later. Yeah.
0: Yep. And our wedding was, it was like really simple, but really pretty. Neither of us, obviously now looking back, we've lived in on the west coast and the east coast like by water but before that like I grew up in Wisconsin landlocked and Ethan grew up in Delaware which was he was coastal but he wasn't he was still like an hour or so from the beach but between the two places we decided to get married in Delaware so we could get married by water and yeah it was just like really simple maybe like 110 or so people instead of a full meal we picked a bunch of our favorite desserts and the
1: the venue we chose was like a country club with a huge you know beautiful really nice standard venue spot in mm-hmm. like the clubhouse but they had a really cool like sand and pavilion set up on this piece of land that like it was like
0: a peninsula Yeah,
1: a peninsula that jutted out into the bay near like Fenwick Island Delaware and Ocean City Maryland that we like it was knew. more our
0: vibe like more not vibe. country club but yeah yeah
1: really really beautiful natural surrounded by water and boats and things and it was like too small to, and too complicated to do full catering, but they let us do catering desserts. Mm-hmm. So we went with like four or five of our favorites. Yeah. And that was kind of a unique thing we did because I have the biggest sweet tooth in the world. Still do. And still do. <laughs> and I loved it. So. Yeah, totally.
0: And we also, I had a deal with my parents that I could have a big old wedding or I could take that money that we are going to spend on a wedding and put towards a down payment on our house, or you know, starting our life together. So we opted for that. So we went very budget friendly on our wedding, spent un- under like ten grand. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty pretty well under. I think yeah. I think we ended up spending more on our honeymoon than our wedding, which went to Bali, which
1: yeah, was really cool. We knew we wanted to have a nice wedding, but that you know, spending tens and tens of thousands isn't really us, it wouldn't really make the day more memorable. Whereas we both love to travel. So we'd rather, we took a chunk of that and put it to going to Bali. Mm -hmm. And then we also knew we were going to move out west. And so we had a nice little chunk of savings to start with in case things didn't go as well with jobs Mm -hmm. or things like that. So.
0: Yeah. So it was nice kind of going into that with that little cushion, but we were proud of ourselves for keeping it budget friendly that we like we loved our wedding. But as, as anyone listening that's been married, your wedding is like one day of the rest of your life. And we, I mean, it's such a blur. Like it went by mm-hmm. so fast. So that, that was our idea behind it. Not knocking on anyone that has a super extravagant wedding. We've been to some of those and they are absolute blast and you feel like... Like, it's such a treat yes. going to weddings like that. But yeah, so that's a little bit about how we met, got married, all of that good stuff. So after the honeymoon, we moved out to California. So I had gotten hooked up with a really great internship. And this, I talk about this a lot in episode 17, a little bit about how I got to where I am today. If you want to kind of hear the nitty gritty details with this side of the story, but we are out in California. My brother got me an internship, which turned into a full-time role at a jewelry company. Loved the jewelry, loved my boss, didn't love the office life. So I ended up quitting about eight or nine Nine months in, and we were kind of at this crossroads, like, okay, shoot. Like, I moved us out to California for the you know to pursue fashion. And then all of a sudden I'm not doing fashion trying to figure out what to do. And I remember having conversations, because at the time you were also, I don't know if it was before or after where you ended up switching from financial advising to real estate.
1: I think it was you were first by a few months. Okay. Yeah.
0: so yeah so of course like we were young you know newly married in a new place my brother lived there but a couple hours away so it was like they all all so many new things and then in a in a matter of months we both kind of changed career paths and I remember having a conversation with Ethan about what I should do next and, and I was already burned out <laughs> eight months in in the fashion world so just trying to figure out what to do and um Ethan actually never knew me up until this point that I was a full fledged horse girl. So I had taken a break during college, as most of you know. And so, Ethan, what was your, at, at what point do you remember me talking about like horses or that I had, you know, this past with riding and then, which then turned into me then take, pursuing a career in riding and horses in California?
1: I mean, we talked about it some dating and things like that Mm -hmm. and I think because we didn't know each other at all our freshman year until like the you know the very end basically the summer going into sophomore year which
0: is the only year that I really tried to make it work like I tried to like get hitch rides to like drive out to a barn that was like an hour away in the middle of the cornfield. I think you volunteered
1: at some like therapy places yeah and so I thought it was interesting how once I came into the picture obviously you told me that had been a big part of your life and you were doing some stuff your freshman year. And then sophomore year and on, when I knew you, you didn't really do anything with horses, mm-hmm. which is, I think was more just a product of the college life and being so busy with uh, trying to figure out your major, your direction in life. You were at the time, you eventually switched to communications, but you were in like the more medicine fields, like mm-hmm. pharmacy, then occupational therapy, with you Know a hard course load that you had to spend a lot of time studying, mm-hmm. and so I think that was why you kind of left the equestrian world during college. But I could tell it was a big part of your life, I thought it was a really cool sport that you had chosen to be a part of, as well as golf, which were two like more unique sports that you don't really hear people, I guess, doing those two. And I like golf as well, so I thought, oh, maybe that'll be something in our future we'll do together. And I think it's neat now that. Your other song that you really loved is what you ended up doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's just kind of funny looking back.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I, looking back when we, you know, like our first, our whole dating life, I wasn't riding at all. And now we're, we just celebrated our sixth year anniversary, our wedding anniversary. And, It's like all I do. So Mm -hmm. it's a a lot different. But I know I remember you saying when I was going through that transition that, you know, something that my parents had told me in college when I switched from a medical major to something, communications to pursue fashion, is that, you know, just really focus on what really makes me happy and what I really love. And I think that's something that you pushed me to do, too, to transition out of fashion into equestrian world again.
1: So, yeah, I think it's especially when you're young. And as long as you don't have huge commitments, like if you had, like, crippling student debt or if we had a kid, like, right away, I think those types of things kind of add pressure to to find a great job and, to, like, build a career. But while we were young and we didn't have as much of, like, a financial burden or time commitment to other things, it was like, why not go for it? I could tell you liked the fashion side of things, but you were so, like, it just wasn't a great fit. And I was like, why don't you do something you really love? You talked about looking for a job in, like, the horse world. But it's it's such, like, a tight-knit community in some ways. And being in Los Angeles where you didn't know a single person out there right. who was involved in that world. So you had to start, like, completely cold. But it's like, if you enjoy it or get in somewhere, even if you don't enjoy it, you, I know you have the skills and the desire and the work ethic and all of that. To be able to get in somewhere, if you have to do something you don't love, at least you'll start building connections with people. You'll prove your worth. You'll be able to get back, increase your skills with the actual writing and things like that. So I knew you'd you'd make it work. You just had to get a start out there. Yeah. So.
0: Yep. So was working at a barn in Calabasas, California, for a bit. Loved it. Learned so much. Worked like a dog, but I really enjoyed Do you remember how I would go to bed at like seven at night?
1: Yeah, because it was, especially in the summer, it'd be so hot.
0: We'd have to start riding at like five. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so you'd get up at like four and you need probably a little bit more than the average person for sleep.
0: <laughs> you weren't so. that so kindly, but yeah. yeah so you'd I, like fall
1: asleep at like seven or eight. Yeah. So.
0: Yep. So that was a transition, but a huge learning opportunity. And then why do you want to walk through why we ended up moving to Florida?
1: Yeah. So my career or my degree rather was finance. And I always loved like the personal finance side of things. So I uh, wanted to be like a financial advisor and work with people kind of one-on-one with budgeting and financial planning and investing. But what I found was the industry is really like has a huge turnover rate and like a really low success rate because you're basically doing 95% sales, especially in the beginning to, to find clients and to build a business and you don't get to do, like you don't just sit there and do the, the, according to me, the fun stuff of helping people and doing the finance side. And so I had been in my spare time like really reading and trying to learn, figure out is there a different path that would be kind of related. And through different blogs and things, I found a website called Bigger Pockets, which is basically like re- was breaking down everything you needed to learn to get started in real estate investing, kind of on every scale from just buying one house as a rental all the way up to people having these huge businesses and crazy successful careers. And so I thought, you know, this could be a really cool kind of mix of finance, of investing, uh, personal finance, and then also um, working in an office wasn't a great fit for me either, funny enough. I just found that My attention span wasn't great. I got kind of bored and honestly wasn't a great employee. Like Being self-employed now, I think, is a better fit.
0: I think you were too smart to be an employee. (laughs) Because, I mean, I feel like some of the roles that you had to do were very, like, mm entry-level. Which is, like, you know, and that's how my job was in fashion. It was, like, more of an entry-level situation. And I get, like, everyone has to, like, pay their dues and work their way up. Mm -hmm. But for you like i mine was more of like from a creativity standpoint that i felt blocked yours was like from a like intelligence standpoint i feel like you had so much to offer that i think working as your own boss makes the most sense for you
1: sure and maybe i maybe wasn't the best outlet of my like skills Mm -hmm. skill set yeah yeah and so basically i figured out like I wanted to get into real estate. And so it kind of naturally coincided with the financial planner who I had been working as his assistant didn't need me anymore as his wife came back from maternity leave. And so it was like a blessing in disguise that I was let go from that and decided, okay, I need to get some real life experience in real estate to see if that is something I'd want to do. And so I got hired on basically in like a, a regular residential sales office and with the broker up in Calabasas as well so that we could be living and working close to each other. And I was essentially like a transaction coordinator and general like office manager assistant. I answer the phones, do paperwork, do help the whole uh, sales process move along for different agents.
0: When did you so, have, when did you buy our first rental unit?
1: Yeah, so that was the other thing. Like big benefit was being around all these people who really, you know, really understood the process of buying and selling houses and that naturally being in that office environment with them, you know, 40 plus hours a week, I could learn from them and pick up tidbits here and there. And so I think it was about six months after I'd found the Bigger Pockets website and really had been doing, you know, hours every evening trying to learn this stuff on the side. And then they'd always said like, the first one's the hardest, you just have to jump in. Once you have enough money and can find a deal that the numbers work. Really, even if it's not going to make you an overnight success, you just need to jump in and do it and learn as you go. Hmm. And so that's basically what we did. We got a rental property back in my hometown and I was able to use kind of family friends and connections from that to find it and to help with the purchase and management of it being on the other side of the country. And we had used, we used a big chunk of that money that um, we'd saved from our wedding. And then also just living frugally in the West coast to be able to do a down payment. And that was a few months into working at that real estate office, Used the mortgage guy at that office. And he was really helpful to do all that. And it ended up being, you know, successful purchase. Which for the
0: first one,
1: it's a big deal. It's done. I really can't expect it to do any better than it has. So it's been awesome, but it really gave me a taste for, okay, if I can keep doing this, keep buying investments, keep, you know, being involved in real estate, that it'll work out in the long run. Well, and so that's essentially what got me started in real estate. And then I knew I wanted to do more than just be like a real estate assistant, do the paperwork at the office. And so I wanted to get into flipping houses and buying more rentals. And out in California, we didn't buy one there just because of the price point. And now it's even higher. But at that time, I just knew it would take way too long to be able to save up and just buy one. Whereas other places in the country were going to be much easier from a financial standpoint of getting started. And so we ended up moving to Florida. A big part of it was for the real estate where I knew we could buy a house to flip and live in as well to get us started on that side of the business. Um, And also look for rental properties that would be more attainable in our price point. And I had some family here in Florida that I knew my parents would retire here and want to be around that family. And so it kind of made sense to do Northeast Florida. We both love the hot weather. The cost of living was, you know, much easier than California. So that's kind of how we ended up in Jacksonville.
0: Tell me a little bit about your photography history, like how you started and then how that turned into Thule Photography, which was our wedding business. And then a little bit about how that has translated into what you're doing with photography now.
1: Yeah, so in college was when we first, we kind of both expressed some interest in photography. I don't remember exactly what like sparked my interest to actually do anything with it, but I remember being like, oh, I think it'd be really cool to be good at photography. That'd be a really nice skill to have.
0: You're also one of the rare people that have, I feel like you are both sides of your brain. You're like analytical and kind of like type a but then you also have the creative side Mm -hmm. to you as well like you grew up taking like painting lessons since you were like like a little little kid yeah had like a creative eye for photography
1: yeah so that was in college we got our first like quote-unquote nice camera and
0: how did we get that was it craigslist or something
1: our school had like its own little mini craigslist where you can buy and sell stuff like school-wide and it went out in emails every day and so I saw somebody selling, like, a camera setup up there, like a used one that we, I could afford. And so I did that. I remember on our – I took that on our the trip to England where we got engaged. And so I was able to, like, set up a tripod and take pictures of our engagement. And we went to, like, a soccer game of my favorite team. Oh, yeah. and I, like, took pictures that whole time. So I just figured out it was something I enjoyed doing. And my senior year, like my last semester I had – I think I only had to do seven credits instead of the usual, like, 15 average. So my workload was really light. And so I took a Photoshop class and a photography class to kind of learn those as just for fun, some valuable skills I thought would be good to have and basically it would be covered by my scholarship because I needed to fill it with some sort of class anyway. Mm-hmm. So
0: We shot our first wedding I know our engagement. We fought. We shot our first engagement shoot while we were still in college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And our we, the wedding. We were were we also still in school?
1: No, the wedding was New Year's Eve of that first year.
0: Okay, so we flew for, we flew back to Ohio from California. Like
1: six months later. Yeah, yeah.
0: and then from there, I think we were honestly just twenty two year olds living in California, trying to like afford Santa Monica rent.
1: Mm-hmm. And so. we knew that if we could get some weddings that we could be on the low end and still make. To us substantial money if mm-hmm. we just did that as
0: far as like our price point goes yeah. for mm-hmm. yeah yeah so we did that we did a couple expos which for the location and I don't know if this works as well now or not or based on where you're located but there was an expo we did where I think we booked 11 weddings from it
1: yeah I think so, there was a need for an affordable price point and like a husband and wife team people mm-hmm. really liked.
0: And more natural looking photography, not super posed. That was kind mm-hmm. of our, our shtick.
1: But we were young and married and I think people like that. Yeah. That we could work together and we had just been through a wedding ourselves and even though we didn't have that many under our belt, we got, like Bethany said, like ten or eleven and just kind of booked those out for the next year and a half and started getting some experience. So
0: Yeah, so when we moved to Florida, we ended up retiring from wedding photography. We'll still occasionally help out like friends or family or or do some family shoots or things like that for people who ask, but we have retired as Thule (laughs) Photography, which is for the best. But we had all this amazing gear and the skill set. And when we moved to Florida about five years ago is when I started my equestrian style. So do you remember what your thoughts were or like what your initial reaction is to, because I know I do also something you need to know is I am constantly coming to Ethan with random big picture ideas. Like I'm going to invent this or I'm going to start this, or I'm going to do this. So it probably was like one of those things. But do you remember your initial reaction to me wanting to start my equestrian style?
1: Not exactly, but I'm sure it was a mixture of knowing that you could be good at it be successful at it I thought it would be a good use of your interest and skills because you'd always had this kind of passion for like a creative outlet especially in the fashion world and you could combine it with your other big passion which you were going to be working in in the equestrian world I thought it'd just be a great fit but at the same time like you said you're, you've always been like the dreamer the uh, brainstormer always looking for that cool idea and lots of times, like, you'll have an idea and then you'll see it out in the world like two years later. Yeah. And it's like, you like oh, kicking
0: myself. <laughs> yeah. If we'd,
1: if we'd done that, who knows if we would have been successful, but this company is successful doing it. So,
0: which like, is kind of what happened with my equestrian style, mm-hmm. but I actually did it this time. Right.
1: And I think it was good that you picked one thing and really went for it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, at first, you kind of have that like imposter syndrome when you have like, you know, 200 followers. Yeah. Which are mainly like people, your friends and family who already followed like your personal Instagram. Sure. And, and it's like okay, how you have to figure out how you're going to provide value, how you're going to capture the eyes of random strangers on the internet when they have a million other things to look at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they're scrolling Instagram or yeah, whatever social media.
0: Because there wasn't anything really for equestrian, not that much. I mean, considering what how much equestrian stuff is on social media now, there was, in the last five years, it has been astronomical. Because there was hardly, I couldn't even find, and I don't know about you guys, I couldn't even find a horse-related pin on Pinterest back then. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, it's, you know, really nice and easy to find stuff. So I really was, um, you know, I started at a good time. It was a risk, but it also, you know, it was one of those situations where it did pay off. But while I do feel like, you know, every type of success, there's a, there's a bit of luck. The rest of it was a lot of hard work. And a lot of that has to go to Ethan because pretty much all of the photos, I would say 98% of all the photos that I post on my website or on Instagram are the ones that Ethan took of me. Okay, so I have a question for you listening because I honestly used to dread having to get prescriptions filled for my animals. Does the idea of having to re-up your prescriptions give you anxiety? I used to be the same way, but then I started shopping at FarmVet. They make it so easy to get my prescriptions filled. All I have to do is order online and they do the rest. On top of making your prescription buying hassle-free, they also have a very knowledgeable staff that I can bounce things off of when I'm questioning a supplement my horse is currently using or considering trying something new. Plus, I love how easy it is to set up and manage auto shipments, so I know my horses always have what they need when they need it. Whether you're shopping online or over the phone, which I've also done all the time because it's super quick, you'll get free shipping on all of your orders over $79. Thinking about giving them a try? You can use my code MyEquestrianStyle to get 10% off your first order. Check out FarmVet at farmvet.com. That's F A R M V E T.com. Again, that is 10% off your order by using code MyEquestrianStyle. Some restrictions do apply, like prescriptions and price protected brands, so make sure you see store for details. Thank you so much, FarmVet. All right, let's get back to the episode. So, do you remember our very first My Equestrian Style shoot?
1: I think so. So, we, for like a month or two, we randomly lived like in an apartment at a barn you were working at. Yes. And yeah, like, I was
0: working to get, a, when we first moved here, I was working to get a private family who just purchased um, a property to get their farm commercially licensed, so we lived there for a minute.
1: Yeah, they had like an already finished out on-site apartment we lived at, and you had this idea, and we had all the, the photography gear, and pretty much this whole facility
0: it a beautiful barn. Like in the
1: evenings, especially we were the only two there. So it's like, okay, you've always wanted to have a creative outlet. This is your idea. Let's go for it. And really all we had to lose was like our time and the mm-hmm. work. And so, yeah, I remember we would we started like walking around the property, finding cool spots to shoot at.
0: And I just shot in my riding clothes that I already had. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And just like started tagging brands. And then once you got a little bit of momentum, started reaching out to like smaller brands that you could maybe help. Get some sort of exposure. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: We were talking about how, like, I still talk to Liz from Ellen Equestrian about this, but that she was one of the first brands that I specifically like reached out to and photographed. And at the time, KLM, I believe, is mm-hmm. what she was before. But yeah, I still we still like look back at those photos, and it's so fun to see like how. You know, you look about if you look back and scroll forever on your Instagram and look at old pictures. It's like, oh my gosh, like it's just so funny how you change and how styles change and.
1: Yeah, and I think that was the first time I'd ever photographed a horse being involved.
0: Yeah, and yeah. So. Talk a little bit about your experience with horse because that's a whole other dynamic. Yes. Like I know for it, for example like when we're shooting stuff and I'm just like taking photos at the barn with just me versus ones where I'm standing next to a horse or riding a horse. I mean, th- th- those are three completely different mm-hmm. processes.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So I have, it's kind of a funny thing, but I still have never been on like a full size horse, never ridden a horse.
0: We're going to make this happen yeah. this year. We've been saying <laughs> it for
1: years and it's like, I honestly don't have a huge desire to. I've grown to a Really like and respect horses. Yeah,
0: you wouldn't get close to them them. before, or when they'd walk at you, you'd be like, but you like nuzzle with them now.
1: Yeah, I definitely (laughs) had a lot of like apprehension about, you know, being kicked or Mm -hmm. being bitten or whatever. And it was kind of unfortunately timed with like an accident somebody else had at one of the barns you worked at, which kind of scared me. Yeah. And so I was always like, I don't need to be right next to the horse being on the camera, I can be, you know, 10 feet away. So just get like a good that. zoom lens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now I I have come to appreciate how they're really cool creatures and they're kind of like dogs in that they can sense your emotions and they want to like cuddle and they have moods and personalities and it's yeah, it's cool to see. But as far as the photography side, it's it's just a whole nother thing to be thinking through. So you just have to be aware of it as far as how does the horse look as well as the person. Um, we do a lot of you standing next to the horse to really be able to show off the full outfit. And then we do a lot of riding because they're just really interesting photos and people seem to really engage and like them right. on social media.
0: So what do you do? What's your process like if I'm doing one of those where I'm doing like a full body shot next to... Our horse Lux, the my client's practice horse that I that you see in many of the photos. Beautiful black, dark bay horse with a really pretty big white star. Super, super cute guy. So that's who Ethan probably interacts with the most. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what kind of walk us through your process of what you would do in that situation of me standing next to Lux with like a full outfit on and sure. trying to capture that.
1: So you'd bring him out of the barn and the first thing we'd have to figure out would be like location which the lighting is even more important than what the actual, like, stuff around you looks like. Yeah. And so we like to shoot when the light is kind of softer or not direct, just because it, like, full sunlight and then full shade next to each other, the camera. Can't really process that like the human eye can. And so one area will be super bright, and then one super dark is the final product. And so we kind of like to, to do shoots with or it's not directly in the sunlight. And so what we'll do is we'll try to find a spot. And by now, having shot so much at your barn, we kind of have like maybe 10 or so go-to spots. And we'll kind of think, okay, what is this outfit? What do we want to show off? What is looking good as far as where the sun is, the time of day, the weather, that those things impact the light. And then we'll obviously pick a spot that, say you need a full body shot, you know, you're wearing shoes or boots or pants, so that we'll need a full body. Because a lot of your stuff you'll do like kind of waist up or like neck and head if it's accessories or mm-hmm. a hat or something like that. And so we'll just find a spot. If it's full body, lots of times we like to be in the ring or on grass, just because like a horse on like a stone or paved driveway doesn't necessarily look great.
0: That's a yeah. new. That's a more recent thing that I feel like we we had someone ask us for just like specific photography tips that you could give people listening. And I think one that a recent really cool like photography hack that we have found is photographing in our arena. We do a Mm -hmm. lot of our photos there now because we have light footing that I feel like reflects this beautiful, like bright, but yet soft light that just does a really nice job. But yeah, I think that that, that's a newer tip that we have Mm -hmm. kind of happened upon.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then as far as the horse itself, I liked, and you like, I think, pictures where the horse's head is kind of close to you as opposed to being like near its middle or back. People really like that, the look with the horse with the ears up and the horse either looking at me, the photographer, or kind of like, something off to my side or looking at you if you, like, pull their head around. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Let's talk ears mm -hmm. because I think part of horse photography, a big part, is finding ways to – bring their ears forward. Because I think as non-horse people, a lot of those people don't really realize that a horse looks more attractive and alert with their ears forward. And But us as, as horse people, you know, that's one of the first things that we look for. So what are some tips that you use to get even the most stubborn of horses to perk their ears forward?
1: I think the most important thing is knowing your horse because we've shot with different horses and as far as their like attentive like how attentive they are or how easily they spook you know you can have anywhere from you make the slightest sound and it's like dangerous to you standing next to them that (laughs) they might like you know spook or step on you or something
0: you can like snap a finger and their ears are up for the next 20 minutes yeah
1: and so you have to be careful to like get something to get their attention but not spook them right and then the other end is like especially I feel like Lux has shot so much he's like a little model now, very comfortable with it, where we have to do, like, more and more to get his ears up.
0: Yeah. And like, so, you're, you're kind of, like, working it. You're, yeah. like, shuffling around. You're throwing some pebbles. Mm-hmm. You're,
1: I'll pick up, like, footing and throw it kind of off to my side, give him something to, to look at.
0: We um, might whip out an earplug.
1: Yep. Whip out one so he can kind of be more alert than usual when he's mm-hmm. out there. And then, I forget who, but somebody told us, like, if you go on YouTube or... If you get like a recording on your phone of horse sounds and noises, then you can kinda of play that, like whinnies yeah. or snorts or whatever. I think that was
0: Nicole Schultz who first showed us that. Mm-hmm. And that did, that for some horses it really works well.
1: Yeah. For some it's like too much. Yeah. But for especially the ones that need a little bit more stimulation to get their ears up, especially the first like three or four times, they'll kinda of get used to it by the end of the day, like, oh, that's just like noises coming from him. But that's a good, really good tip that works a lot.
0: I think something that you also have learned to do really well now that you've gotten more comfortable around horses is to like take a minute and like say hi to them and like give them a pat, scratch their scratch their neck, let them sniff the camera. And so I feel like you do that really well because that's also something to keep in mind is that, the horses are like, okay, what's going on? Like, are you riding me? Or like why are we out here? Can I eat grass? Like all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And so being able to just kind of check in with them and you you're not a scary person or you know, like a scary monster that they should be afraid of. Or when you start, you know, throwing footing, you know what I mean? Like you're you're obviously still gauging the situation, but I think that the fact that you have a little bit of interaction with them in the beginning is is helpful and, and a good reminder for other equestrian photographers to just take that minute and check in with the horse. So tell me a little bit about our gear. And I know we have a lot, and it's not like we bring everything to every shoot, especially when we're just shooting at home at the barn. But what are the pieces that you always make sure that you have? And then tell me about like, okay, let's say in an ideal world I give you a couple days notice or a day notice. What do you what's the setup like for you as far as getting stuff ready?
1: Sure. So most of the gear we already had from our wedding photography days, so we've kind of adapted it. And luckily, it's fairly similar stuff we'd want to buy anyway. And so we use a Nikon D750, which at the time when they were new were like $1,600, but now because they're like 10 years old, they are a lot more affordable. And so and we have two of those bodies, which was, that was just from wedding photography because we would both shoot. But now it is helpful. Sometimes I'll take, because we've got a a uh, gimbal, which is basically like a a device that you set the camera on, and it has its own battery, and it it counteracts your movements to keep the camera like perfectly level and without jumping around like you would if you're hand holding it.
0: That we use for video.
1: Yeah, we use that for video. Yeah. And so, if I if we're doing photos and video with the uh, DSLR, then it's nice to have two because the gimbal you have to set up and like balance it and it takes about 15 minutes to get it perfect and you have to change that if you change your lens and so usually I would just set up the gimbal with one lens and leave it but then as far as the photos so we have prime lenses which are where they don't that like the focal length doesn't change and so we have a 35 millimeter and uh, an 85 being like kind of zoomed in 35 being pretty wide
0: I Um, love the 85
1: yeah the 85 is like it's known to be a really good portrait lens. And we also got the like the lowest aperture is a 1.4, which basically means it can let in a ton of light. And it also gives it that really blurred background look, uh, the bokeh look, which it just makes your subject really stand out. Because, really
0: stand yeah. out. And then even, I mean, especially before iPhones getting a, a huge, you know, increase in quality for their, photo- for their cameras, but even now, I mean you can tell very clearly that you' you know you're using an mm-hmm. 85 millimeter the, the amount of blur and then how crisp the the image yeah. that or the part that's in focus is just I just I love that look.
1: Yeah. And then also this is kind of like getting a little bit more technical with the lenses and photography. but if you have a 35 millimeter and you like you walk your distance away from the subject so, you can basically just barely see like their head and their feet fill up the whole frame. The background is going to look a lot more zoomed out. Whereas if you have the 85 on and you basically, you you walk backwards quite a bit further away from the subject, but you put them so their feet and their head are at the edge, the background looks a lot more zoomed in. And so I forget the exact like terminology for that, but that makes like gives it that more professional look too, where the background appears closer than it does to like your normal eye so that's one way why we use different lenses they have different purposes but they they like make your style different depending on which one you choose Mm -hmm. and you you don't want to use the same lens for every single shot that's kind of one reason with iphones to like to upgrade beyond an iphone now they do have like the nicer ones have multiple lenses and focal lengths which is nice and we use I'll use that for video and occasionally photo, but especially the video, it's nice because we can use a smaller gimbal that's really lightweight, it's easy to travel with. I really like the the more zoomed-in iPhone lens that is on the 12. It's just really convenient, and if you use that zoomed-in lens, it doesn't necessarily look like it's an iPhone because, you know, millions of people who have iPhones, it used to all be the same focal length, so that's why, like, the zoom and... Just the, it felt like an iPhone photo, even if it was really. iPhone cameras are have gotten really good, so.
0: Yeah. So I would say like our backpack is usually has one. For sure, one camera body. We usually always have the 35 and the 85. Mm-hmm. You have a couple go to lenses that are really nice because you can adjust yeah. the zoom, zoom l- which is mm-hmm. nice for when I'm doing riding shots. When you're like wanting to get ones that are closer up and I'm riding, like you know, riding at the other end of the ring and then I'm coming close to you and you're not having to like switch off yeah. so much. Which one is that?
1: So we have a 24 to 70, which is more wide angle, and then we have a 70 to 200 millimeter. And the 70 to 200 is the one I use that quite a bit for when you're on, like when you're riding. Yeah. Because when you're riding, you're changing distance away from me so quickly that I can't really like, I don't want to run physically. It might spook the horse and it doesn't give me as much time to set up. So when I can zoom in, I can really get like different feeling photos without having to physically move.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah definitely. So with that, yeah, our backpack is usually like one or two lenses depending on what we're shooting, a camera body or two camera bodies if I'm also planning on shooting video because then we usually just have that set up with the gimbal which stabilizes any like shake or movement that Ethan were to make. And then we have a bunch of memory cards. Mm-hmm. We always try to we have a little yep. like pouch of memory cards and those go right from the camera I and then after the shoot I pop them out put them right into the computer and start uploading them to edit them. I do the majority of our editing just because Ethan doesn't need to sit down and do that because I did that a lot with our wedding photography. So we use, I use Lightroom. If there's something that really needs like a ton of Photoshop work, like let's say there's like a bunch of orange cones or like, you know, something that's just not super cute in the photos or like I have a couple brands who like prefer to um, stick to a specific color palette so let's like maybe don't like a ton of green or you know certain colors and obviously like if you've seen my pictures at at the barn there's tons of green there's tons of trees and really green grass and things like that so anything that requires a pretty significant amount of editing I'll usually ask Ethan to help me he's really good at photoshop and he can you know take out some cones or if we have if there's like a messy like hair situation or like mane mm-hmm. or tail situation he can go in and clean stuff up or if and- there's
1: something we really like a photo but there's something about it that we didn't catch like something was on your pants mm-hmm. or I tried to like block the other riders in the ring with the horse and you and the in the foreground. But. And you
0: see just a little bit, but it's touching, it's like touching me in the background. Yeah. You know, something, because like Lightroom obviously has a lot of capability to take out people, but it's, you know, when it's attached, when, you, when it looks like it's attached to you, when it's directly behind you and a little bit is peeking out from behind you, getting that edge, that clean edge, after you get rid of them. something in the background is super hard. So that's why, yeah, I'll I'll have him come Photoshop stuff. But otherwise, we like to keep it pretty simple. We have not dabbled in presets. We like to do a pretty simple editing process, just a couple tweaks, usually exposure, contrast, and clarity. And then we'll usually play with the warmth a little bit, depending on what the sun was doing that day. And sometimes things end up looking a little bluer, so we'll warm them up. Sometimes Sometimes things are crazy warm and we need to, you know, cool it, down. Cool it yeah. down a little bit. So it just kind of depends. But we find that we have like a specific style, but it's not anything too crazy. It's pretty realistic. So that's usually what we stick to, which I think is what helps keep our, my feed cohesive, even though we don't, you know, abide by a specific preset. So that's a little bit about the process. What would you say are your favorite parts of working with me <laughs> as a husband-wife duo? And what are some challenges that you feel like we face?
1: Here comes the loaded questions. Right yeah,
0: let's hear it. <laughs> Answer carefully.
1: No, um, just kidding. No, it's great to be able to work with you a lot. I think we both enjoy being able to work together and not do the whole thing like a lot of people have to do where you you know, you leave each other in the morning, you come back in the afternoon, evening, exhausted. So it's nice to be able to do stuff together. I'd say this is the biggest area where we can work together.
0: You're making me go paint at our house
1: flip. Yes. <laughs> I'm always trying to get Bethany, you know, come alongside me and do some physical labor mm. at the houses we're flipping. or She prefers the design work.
0: Uh, I, I prefer well delegating. As, and delegating, true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you are—you've gotten good at painting, so that's yeah. helpful. But back to the photography. Some of the harder parts are—I feel like you have a, a strong personality, and you—you you have like a vision in your mind sometimes of what you think you want things to look like, and so just communicating that to me, and staying patient if I'm not quite getting what you've had in your mind, or you having—you have to trust me sometimes that it looks different behind the lens than what you think it might. Mm -hmm. And that I've learned kind of what you're looking for, what you want. And I have to do something you might not expect to be able to execute that. Yeah. And so just communicating that.
0: Are you ever surprised with the photos that I think that I really like that are my favorites versus what are you? Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes you're like, oh, my gosh, I love this. And then there'll be some random candid one. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. this is my favorite. Yeah, you'd love.
1: <laughs> it, candid ones are tough because ninety nine percent of the time they'll just come out looking like kinda dumb, honestly, like weird fo- face, uh, facial expressions. Just like not flattering the poses. Mm-hmm. So it takes like a ton of candidates to get that one that's like, Oh, that looks so cool. It looks yeah. effortless. It looks like unplanned, but at the same time like so flattering. Mm-hmm. So we have to take like so many candid photos to get the ones that like really look cool.
0: For one outfit, what would be your estimate for how many photos we take for one look?
1: I'd say it depends if we are trying to do, like, a ton of outfits that day. Mm-hmm. Or if we have, like, only two or three and, like, an hour or two to do it, then we can spend, like, a half an hour per outfit. So we'll, we'll probably do, like, maybe 200 photos per outfit. Probably down more to, like, if we're in a huge rush, we might only do, like, one pose or one, like, goal And that would maybe be like 30 to 50 photos, I'd say, like knock them out in like a five to 10 minute span.
0: Right, right. Yeah, because ideally we always like to over deliver for the brands that we're doing content creation for. So it's always more than what we say that we'll give, but we're both of us. I mean, me, is. I'm like very trigger happy when it comes to when I'm shooting something. So like, if it's like, if it's a product or an accessory or a flat lay, then I'll usually shoot those. Or if we're photographing like a friend at the barn or something like that, sometimes I'll take over and, and shoot still a bit too. But You shoot a little bit less than I do, but we Mm -hmm. still get a healthy amount of photos before I do my first culling process, which is when you make your kind of like first distinction of the photos you're going to keep,
1: not keep. Yeah, you basically get rid of all the ones that are obviously not going to be. Right,
0: just like blinks or, you know, like. You know, just unflattering posing, which we've definitely figured out what like posing looks the best. We also have found as far as like, ri- tell a little bit about like riding mm-hmm. photography tips, because there's posing for the horses and the rider that I feel like look the most flattering. So what, what tell me a little bit about that experience.
1: I think with when you're on the horse, we found that the photos that are best are kind of like a slower to maybe like medium pace You'd know better what... You're right.
0: Yeah, um, the walk and maybe like even like a sitting trot is sometimes more flattering and more graceful looking. Or you can get more keepers, as far as your photos, at those gates than the trotting and the cantering. While you might end up getting like... More higher risk for the trotting and cantering, you might find one or two that are like stunning. Yeah. Where at the walk and the sitting trot, I think it has something to do with the connection to the saddle. It just look there's you're gonna get more photos That's out of that. That's what we found, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And also, from the photographer's perspective, the ring we shoot in most of the time has several like really large trees around the outside, which provide like shade, which usually is pretty flattering. Mm-hmm. And if you're going slower, then from my vantage point, I'll maybe have like time to get like five or six quick shots in and then you pick the best out of that. But if the horse is moving quickly, it's a little bit harder for the camera to get focus and therefore, as well as the horse is leaving that shaded area much faster. So I might only be able to click like two, one, two, three times, and then you have to go all the way back around the ring sure. to get back to that same spot and the horse is getting worn out faster. Right. So you can't you can't do that like 50 times because the horse is going to be too tired.
0: Right. So. Yeah, talk a little bit about our experience with getting creative with levels. Like you yeah. being on different levels, I think has been a game changer for Definitely.
1: Because it's obviously most natural as a photographer to be at like regular standing position. It's the most comfortable. You can just put the camera right up to your eye and go. But lots of times with portrait photography, especially you want to be more like chest or waist level the camera. And so I'm a little bit taller than Bethany, so I'd have to you know maybe kneel or crouch a little bit and that lots of times that looks decent on the horse as well but when she's way up higher we found that if you get on like a step stool or ladder that can be a cool perspective because people aren't used to being level or higher than the person on the horse and that will create kind of a more unique image that it doesn't blend in as much with every other you know photograph of somebody whipping out their phone and snapping some pics right And then the other thing, the other end, is to crouch low, and we found this is really good if we don't want as much green in the photo, or if we want, if there's, like, a really pretty sky, or...
0: Or if you want to blow out the sky and have it just be, like, a white background Mm -hmm. effect.
1: Or if the horse, like, one section of our ring, the background is kind of, like, all the equipment and the storage facilities and Mm -hmm. the tractors that we have found, like, they don't look great. And so... If you go low, you can kind of shoot over buildings in the background. And again, it gives it just a different look that people aren't used to seeing, which can make your photos really stand out, be a lot more interesting.
0: Totally. Well, something I ask every guest, and I know I didn't brief you on this, but it's a question I'm pretty sure you know the question I ask every guest, and that is, what is an area of the equestrian industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? I feel like even though you're not directly connected to the industry, you do work with me and you really support me and having kind of the husband of a equestrian mm-hmm. or horse girl would be an interesting perspective for that answer
1: so I don't do a huge amount at shows or the actual training and everything so my experience is really the social media and photography side and so I would just say that it's not nearly as hard as people think to get to really level up your photography you know results if you want to be able to show off, even if you're just really passionate about writing and want to have really amazing photos that you can frame or put on your Instagram or if you have a website, if you have a business, it's the there's a lot of benefits to taking a few hours to learning tips and really go to that next level. And it's not as difficult or as much or as time consuming to have a social media presence that if you have a reason to take to build your account that it is worth it. And I think we always talk about how the equestrian industry kind of lags behind like general. Um,
0: Five to 10 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like fashion or yeah. photography. Mainstream. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the business side. So if you start implementing these things now, kind of look at your favorite accounts that you want to be like for other industries and you do that now, then you'll be able to get results as far as having growth on your accounts. Or even just if you really want a cool picture of yourself riding, if you invest in a quality camera with enough megapixels and a good enough lens that can really get a sharp image, you can pay to have it printed off and make, you know, cool art for your house or be able to give, I don't know, make gifts for your grandma, whatever it is. Like there's a lot of different avenues that, People like photographs and videos have just become a huge part of our lives in general with social media. That you can create them, you know, without a whole lot of extra learning or equipment.
0: Yeah, and besides that, one super general photography class you took, the majority of what you learned w- was literally just like going online and finding free resources. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then practicing.
1: Yeah, practice makes perfect. Like everything else, you have to put in the work if you really want to grow. But the nice thing is, if you have an interest in photography, there's I guarantee you there's people like if you have friends at your barn or somebody else who rides that they they would love to be your subject. And then you can once you learn and get a feel for it, you can do all the settings on your camera, hand it off to your friend, and and say, Hey, do you mind taking a few shots to me as I ride? And you can get close to professional level images with a little bit of effort and patience.
0: We've done that quite a bit when mm-hmm. we've wanted pictures of ourselves, but we're not with any fellow photography friends. We'll just set up all the settings and give people a, a five-minute lesson of, okay, you, you match the little red rectangle that you see in your viewfinder. That's, the f- that's what you focus on. And we have everything set up, so all they have to do is press the press the button and we've gotten some good photos yeah. from it like
1: my the wallpaper on my phone is a picture of us in Spain that like we were doing a, a fashion street style shoot for you and we found this amazing alleyway with like great light and oh yeah it was just amazing. like Spanish architecture some plants I love the photos I was getting of you and it was like oh this would be an amazing spot to have a picture of us but we were it was just the two of us and so we just saw like a friendly-looking fellow tourist that did he did he speak English though I think it was a lady, or it was a couple and them. it was of them a did couple it, they mm-hmm. did not speak English. We just told them like oh you know photo of us please and like handed them the <laughs> picture and said click this button and
0: it's one of our favorite yeah. photos of the two of us.
1: Yeah, so if you can if you want to go to the next level you can you know invest in a decent camera, learn it inside and out, and have people take photos of you. And that's right. one way to
0: do it. And th- this isn't like Ethan at all knocking on iPhone photography because we've gotten some great pictures with the iPhone, especially with with the iPhones today. I mean, there's some really, really good, amazing stuff they're doing with the cameras on the iPhone. So I would say that with with the correct light, with like a nice light, whether for us, our favorite times to shoot are either in the morning before you get that harsh shadowy light. And then in the evening before the sun sets, we call that golden hour. Although I think, I think zoomers are calling golden hour. So do you, did you notice that? No. I feel like on TikTok people have different interpretations of what golden hour is yeah. for us. We not necessarily, is it physically golden, but it's like golden as in the best time to shoot mm-hmm. because you're not getting any harsh shadows which we have found is like sunrise, sunset right around that time or like the hour before or after is Mm -hmm. the best time because it's like the softest light and you can do the most with your backdrops and posing. You have more variety. Mm -hmm. Right. Right now, it's also very popular to shoot with harsh shadows and kind of get more of like a modern dynamic with and playing with the shadows. So there really isn't any wrong way to go about doing it. I think if you just have a plan and have a vision and then really practice. yeah. Yeah.
1: If you put the extra little bit of work in to not shoot from, like, the obvious spot where everybody might think to shoot, mm-hmm. if you get lower or get higher, if you use mm-hmm. a, a focal lens that's not the standard iPhone lens, if you go at the time of day with flattering light, if you look really look for, okay, where is the light hitting the horse well, as opposed to, like, you know, don't just put it so there's a bright light going straight at them right. and they're staring into it, like we are kind of taught growing up so
0: right absolutely well ethan thank you for taking the time i know you are a busy guy with <laughs> flipping our house and doing all your real estate stuff so i appreciate you one taking the time to do all my photography and videography it's a huge help and for taking the time to do this podcast of course this wasn't so bad was it, it
1: wasn't too bad no. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate you having me on and i'm proud of everything you're creating